Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is entitled, Living Wisely. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. There once was a couple preparing for an overseas missionary trip. Uh, they were missionaries, but they were waiting for their visas to be uh, approved by our government. As the waiting period grew longer and longer, the uh, couple enlisted the prayers of uh, several Christian friends in their church. And as the prayer request reached its way to a particular family in the church, their 10-year-old son offered what he innocently thought was a logical alternative when he asked, well, why don't they just try MasterCard? Because they were waiting on visas. Shoot that. Do I need to read that again? I'm going to make a note right here to delete that joke. <laughs> it takes too long for people to get. You know, although it may seem like Visa and MasterCard have always been around, um, they actually are a recent addition to our nation's history. For centuries, borrowing was frowned upon both inside and outside of the church. For example, did you know that three of the oldest lenders in our nation today were founded by people who despised debt? Uh, Sears Roebuck, in the 1910 Sears Roebuck catalog, uh, had a short little article, what we would call a blog today, but uh, with the headline, Buying on Credit is Folly. Sears now makes more money lending than it does selling merchandise. J.C. Penney uh, makes millions of dollars each year pushing their store credit card, but their founder, whose name was James Cash Penny, hated debt. Ford Motor Company. For those of you that drive Fords, Ford Motor Credit is one of Ford's most profitable subsidiaries. However, the founder, Henry Ford, thought that debt was a lazy man's way of purchasing merchandise. And for this reason, Ford did not offer financing on its cars until 10 years after General Motors started doing so. Before the 1930s, most middle-class people had no major debts because banks would not lend to them. So they rented homes or saved up enough cash to pay for a new house as it was being built. In the 1950s, credit and charge cards were introduced for the first time to the American public. It's hard to imagine, isn't it, a, a world where there is no credit card or charge card, but um, consumers got exposed to charge and credit cards for the first time, and it was Diners Club and Visa were the first on the market. Today's debt stats are staggering. Uh, last year, NerdWallet.com conducted an extensive research study in which they gathered data from the Federal Reserve Bank, the U.S. Census Bureau, and the National Harris Poll. The results were, as I said, staggering. Uh, did you know that $15,983 is the average credit card debt per household? in the U.S. 
That's up 7% from the previous year. $904 is the average credit card interest per year at an average rate of 14.87%. The average mortgage per household in the U.S. is $178,035. The average auto loans total, this could be for multiple cars in a household, but the average uh, auto loans per U.S. household is $27,755. And then last year, there were 772,594 personal bankruptcies filed. When asked by NerdWallet what contributed to their credit card debt, here's how people responded. 41% admitted to spending more than they could afford. 33% charged emergency services that were non-medical because they did not have an emergency savings fund. 21% charged non-emergency travel expenses, most likely vacations. It seems obvious to me, and I hope it's obvious to you, that debt is not only a national problem, but a personal one as well in our country. This is probably why author and financial expert Dave Ramsey said this about uh, America's debt problem, quote, the silly marketing that America falls for has resulted in this. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have in order to impress people we don't like. <laughs> Thankfully, God's word has wisdom on this topic, this very important issue. So we're continuing our series in the book of Proverbs today. I want to invite you to open up uh, your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6. We're continuing our series called Living Wisely. And I want to encourage you to also pull out your sermon notes or in the worship folder you received when you came in this morning. Uh, my goal is for you to leave with a completely filled out both front and backside sermon note today. I'm going to send you home with a lot of content and I'm going to move quickly through the content so that you stay awake and hopefully by the time you're done, you're going to go, wow, we're done already? That went really fast. So um, as a review, we've been learning that wisdom is the skillful application of God's word to every area of life for his glory and our good. Throughout this series, as we've been hopping around Proverbs, Solomon has been telling us one simple truth in several different ways, which is wisdom reaps blessings, but Foolishness reaps cursing, and sometimes we're the ones cursing because we're going, why did I do that? I wish I had known what I know now back then. One area we all need God's wisdom is on the topic of debt. Thus, our big idea today, the sermon in a sentence is this, the discipline of contentment can prevent the burden of debt. The discipline of contentment can prevent the burden of debt. I think we've become so familiar with credit cards and loans and all sorts of debt mechanisms and vehicles that we have actually forgotten in our culture what debt actually is and what it means. So let's refresh our memories on what debt is as you write that big idea down. According to the dictionary, the noun form of debt means 
quote, something owed or an obligation that must be paid. The verb form of debt, like to go into debt, means, quote, using credit or borrowed money to purchase something you cannot afford. Solomon answers the following questions in this passage we're going to be looking at. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Uh, first of all, why is debt dangerous? And then Solomon's going to answer the question for us, how should we get out of debt? And so with that, if you would look at Proverbs 6, verses 1 and 2 with me in your Bibles. My son, Solomon says, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you've given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, Caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. Let me stop there. Here's the first point on your outline. Number one, there are debt traps set everywhere for us. There are debt traps set for us everywhere. At first glance, it would seem that Solomon is saying not to cosign on a loan for a stranger in these first two verses. However, there's a little more going on here than meets the eye. It was actually common, and I know this will sound foreign to those of us in 21st century Western culture, but it was actually common for Israelites in the Old Testament to make loans or to underwrite debts for someone else within the faith community. It was encouraged by the Lord in the Old Testament law as a means of helping the poor or helping another family in the faith community that was struggling. But there was an exception. Those who were making loans to help others out or underwriting debts were not allowed to charge interest or to make a profit. If you want to read further about this, it's talked about in Exodus chapter 22, verse 25, and Leviticus chapter 25, verses 35 to 37. Such a loan was also limited to someone that you knew if you were an Old Testament Israelite, like an actual next-door neighbor or relative. Thus, uh, Solomon is saying here, uh, if you've given your pledge or co-signed or underwritten a debt for a stranger, someone you don't know as well, then get out of it is what he's saying. I think the sage is making a couple points here. On a micro level, I think he's saying the lesser you know a person that you are lending or co-signing for, the greater you are putting yourself at risk. Thus, compassion should always be tempered with wisdom. There are some people that lead with their heart. They may have a mercy gift and they want to help or the spiritual gift of giving and they want to help those that are struggling, but sometimes they may lack wisdom in how much they help or who they help. Both compassion and wisdom are valued by the Lord and neither should trump the other. Now, on a macro level, I think Solomon is saying something else about debt in general, and that is this. Debt is dangerous. Debt is dangerous. It should be avoided when possible and kept to a minimum when not possible. Now, how do you know if you've been caught in a debt trap? Here's... Here's some, what, some things that the, just a few bullets of what financial experts say 
uh, are the signs that you are caught in a debt trap. You are in trouble, in over your head, in debt. Um, here's the first thing. If more than 40% of your gross monthly income is going to debt reduction, like credit cards, mortgage, car payments, student loans, this is called your debt-to-income ratio, or DTI for short. If more than 40% of your gross monthly income is going to debt, then you're in trouble. So much so that if this number exceeds 43%, that is now the industry standard for home lenders, home mortgage lenders, they will consider you high risk and most likely not loan to you. Because if your debt load exceeds 43% of your gross monthly income, they will not be confident that you can maintain the mortgage. Next, the next sign that you've been caught in a debt trap. Weekly needs, such as food, utilities, clothing, are being paid for from savings or using credit cards. The next sign is that you are not able to give 10% of your gross income back to the Lord through a local church. Another sign financial experts talk about is that you are not able to give an offering to additional needs the Lord brings before you. If somebody maybe in a church needs a utility bill paid or uh, help with a car repair or a widow or maybe some family that just lost their job. If you're not able to help them because you just don't have liquid resources available, Christian financial experts would say you are overextended then. You don't have enough freedom to give out discretionary offerings as the Lord leads you. So what's the application? How can we be doers of God's word? And what, what is God calling us to do based on verses 1 and 2? Here's an application that comes to mind, and that is maintain a healthy fear of debt. A healthy fear of debt. And, and I don't mean that in a sense of like terror. What I mean instead is sort of how we fear the Lord. Have, have a respect for it. Um, treat it like fire. It can be used for good if handled properly, and it can do great harm if it's mishandled. Some studies have shown that those living with high debt-to-income ratios also see the stress of debt take a toll on their health. Deeply indebted people report suffering from ulcers, sleeplessness, depression, muscle tension, back and neck pain because they fear losing their house, their car, or not being able to make payments. The Lord does not want his people to carry this burden, this kind of burden. Instead, a healthy fear of debt needs to strike us before we borrow. Proverbs 22.7 conveys, I think, the stress that too much debt can put on us by comparing it to slavery. Solomon writes in Proverbs 22.7 on this same topic, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave to the lender. I think the deception of consumer credit debt is that we think we own the stuff we borrowed to buy when in fact the lender owns us. That's what Proverbs 22.7 is saying. We become slaves when we borrow because the lender gains leverage over our finances. They have authority in our lives and they can make our lives miserable if we fail to make payments on the debt. 
Credit debt ties up resources. The Lord has entrusted two believers to invest back into kingdom work. Instead, there are many Christians that have tied up those resources, paying for a lifestyle they really can't afford. And so the discipline of contentment can, can prevent the burden of debt. Next, let's see what Solomon has to say about getting out of debt. Let's look at the counsel he gives his son and us. In verses 3 and 5, he says, Then do this, my son, save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Here's number two in your outline. We can get free, I think Solomon's saying, we can get free from debt traps. It's possible. In verses one and two, he gives conditions to watch for. Notice in your Bible, he says, if this, and if this, and if this. And then in verses three and five, he provides counsel on what to do if the conditions in verses one and two are met. So save yourself, he says. In the original language, it reads literally, deliver yourself. It uses a word picture of snatching or plucking someone or something quickly out of danger or trouble. Like a, the imagery that comes to mind would be like a movie hero that dives out of the way of a coming car or uses a rope to pull himself up out of quicksand. The, 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 the original language for save yourself is describing someone that gets themselves out of trouble. Because danger is coming. There's an urgency in his words. I hope you see in the text. Why? Well, he says in verse 3, why? Because you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Into the hand is a Hebrew idiom that means to come under the control or power of someone else. It's meant to be irony for the shaking of hands that's described in verse 1. Next, Solomon uses three metaphors to illustrate the urgency that he wants his son and us to have when it comes to getting out of debt. The metaphors are, notice them in verse 4, sleep, don't sleep. Now, he's speaking figuratively here, meaning don't procrastinate it, don't put it off. He doesn't mean stay up all night nonstop until you're debt-free. Um, we believe in a literal interpretation of Scripture, but there are metaphors and figures of speech in Scripture. So next, notice he references the gazelle. That's the second metaphor. And then the third one is the bird. Let's talk about the gazelle. A gazelle is a uh, type or species of antelope known for its gentleness, speed, and agility. Found mostly in Africa and Asia, gazelles are very fast runners capable of speeds up to 40 miles per hour. The arch enemy and the hunter of the gazelle is the cheetah. Cheetahs are believed to be the fastest land animals on earth capable of speeds up to 70 miles per hour. But gazelles are able to evade cheetahs by running real fast and they zig and they zag because cheetahs aren't good at zigging and zagging. 
Cheetahs can only run full speed, and you know as well as I do, you probably have heard, they can run up to 70 miles per hour. Well, they can only do so in a straight line, and they can only do so for short bursts before they tire. So sometimes the gazelle wins, and sometimes the cheetah does. Now, when there's a metaphor used in the scriptures, like we see here with the gazelle and the next with the bird, it's important and it's helpful to figure out why did the author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, choose this metaphor? What is he thinking or what's he trying to help us see or understand? And so with the gazelle, he's saying, flee, get out of debt quick like you're running from a cheetah or a hunter. And the next, the bird leaving the fowler. Notice in the picture on the keynote screen behind me, this bird, this falcon, wants to get free from his fowler because birds are born to fly. There's freedom in flying. They, they want to be set free from the weight that holds them down to the ground, to earth. He doesn't want to be tied down by the weight of the fowler or held on to. Solomon's painting a picture of debt like that. It's a weight that holds people down. It's a burden. It, it, it keeps you from flying. It keeps you from reaching the potential that God has for you and doing things with your finances that he wants you to do. And so he gives his son and he gives us this illustration of a fowler holding onto the bird and the bird escaping and that feeling of being free from what was holding him down. Now, there's sleep and then there's the gazelle and then the third metaphor, the bird. Here's four reasons why I think the Lord wants us to avoid or minimize debt in our lives. Four reasons, and this is just some pastoral counsel and it's some principles that are other places in scriptures, but uh, here's A, B, C, and D real quick for you to jot down. Uh, first of all, debt causes us to miss God's provision. It causes us to miss God's provision. Debt is often fueled by an impatient desire for instant gratification. However, patient faith gives us the opportunity to see God provide for our needs. And when needs arise, the Lord encourages us to bring those needs to him so that he can meet them. However, if we run to debt or we just run to the credit card real fast to take care of the need, we miss out on potential God stories of the Lord coming through, maybe providing through the body of Christ. And we miss out on the opportunity to testify to his ability to provide. And we miss out on the opportunity to depend on the Lord. Next, letter B, debt causes us to overspend. It causes us to overspend. The chief financial officer of a national credit card company said that consumers spend, on average, 25 to 30% more when they use a credit card instead of a check or cash to pay for something. He also stated that a great majority of those extra purchases are the result of impulse buying. Don't miss that. The credit card companies know they can make a ton of money off you and me if they can get us to be impatient and impulsive. And they make a huge living off of it. 
Overspending often takes place when we deceive ourselves into turning a want into a need. And one secret to living within our means is knowing the difference between a need and a want. I think we can learn that by gaining a sober understanding of our sin nature, by learning discipline and discernment so that we can tell the difference between the two. So debt causes us to overspend. Letter C, debt causes us to pay more for products and services than they are really worth. It causes us to pay more for products and services than they are really worth. With compounding interest and minimum payments, you end up paying three to four times the purchase price of the product. Thus, a $5,000 family vacation or an anniversary trip to Cancun ends up costing several more thousand dollars if it's not paid off immediately. Letter D, uh, the fourth reason uh, I think we should avoid debt or minimize it in our lives is that debt causes us to miss the blessing of giving. If we use debt to buy things we don't need with money we don't have in order to impress people we don't like, we lock up financial resources the Lord has given to us to invest back into kingdom work. And then there are promises in Scripture that he gives that if you give back to my church and back to the spreading of the gospel, I will bless you and reward your giving. But if we take the Lord's resources and we go, no, 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 Lord, I don't want to do that. I want to have all this stuff, and we tie it up in debt, then we have nothing left for kingdom work or very little that we can give to it. So debt causes us to miss the blessing of giving. Now, this certainly leads to a question I'm sure many of you have on your mind. Okay, well, this is interesting, Pastor Kerry, and you certainly have given us a lot of statistics, but is, is debt sinful, Pastor? I'm sometimes asked that question when I teach on this topic. Is debt sinful? Uh, the short answer to that question is no, but I think the Scriptures say Debt is dangerous and risky and should be handled with great care and caution. And I think this is because debt can be caused by sin, such as impatience, greed, selfishness, materialism, pride. Also, I think the scriptures warn us to be careful with debt because debt can cause sin to happen. Debt can prevent us from being generous to others. It can prevent us from investing wisely and leaving an inheritance for grandchildren. And it can prevent us from worshiping the Lord through tithing and giving. So it's not sin exactly, but it can be caused by sin or it can cause sin is what I think the scriptures tell us. Now, you might be wondering, well, is any debt acceptable? Well, financial experts answer that question in this way. They break down debt into two categories, good debt and bad debt. Good debt is debt that you use to get items that are actually needed that will appreciate and are tax deductible, like the payment on that debt. Bad debt, according to financial experts, is defined as 
items, you're going to debt for items that you just want that depreciate. And the payments on it are not tax deductible. The bottom line is if you're going to use debt, make sure it's good debt. It's wise. So here's some wisdom on types of debt. Here are some examples from some of the financial websites I consulted last night of uh, the different kinds of debt and what kind of wisdom to use with them. So, for example, a business loan. Most experts agree that a business loan is good debt so long as you use moderation, so long as you have a plan to generate more business, and that you have a good plan to make sure you're not investing that debt in poor resources. Student loans, good so long as they're done in moderation, again. And student loans are tax deductible. Home mortgage, good. Again, cautious, moderation. Mortgage payments are tax deductible. A home is something that can appreciate if you live somewhere else other than California. <laughs> um, Here's some wisdom that financial experts have regarding the home mortgage. They say stay under 25%. Your, your, your monthly payment should be less than 25% of your take-home pay. You should put at least 10% down, preferably 20, and try for a 15-year term. If your mortgage payment exceeds 25% of your monthly take-home pay, your mortgage is too big. Car loan. Good and bad. Depends. I got mixed reviews on this from different websites I checked last night. Uh, most financial experts say use great caution. Make sure you get a reliable brand and model, like check consumer reports, for example, before buying a car and financing it. You want to get a model and a brand that depreciates slowly so that you're not upside down on your loan. They recommend getting a car that's one to two years old because new cars lose between 15 to 25% of their value in the first year. Keep the car for three years after you pay it off while continuing to put the car payment in the bank so that on your next vehicle you can either pay cash or make a large down payment on your next car. Credit card debt. Bad. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. If you choose to have credit cards and are unable to pay them off, the monthly balance, financial experts recommend cutting them up or at least putting them in the kitchen drawer until they're paid off. If you're in over your head with debt or sick of debt or would like a simple, straightforward plan or advice on how to get out of debt, I highly recommend Dave Ramsey's book, The Total Money Makeover. It's a great book. And Maya and I have been through a couple times. Uh, it's referenced in your worship folder, and you can get it online. So how do we apply Solomon's counsel? How do we save ourselves like the gazelle and the bird? Here's your application for point number two. Aggressively unload debt. It means that if you have to change your lifestyle in order to fit your means, then you do it to please the Lord. You see, because living within your means is saying to the Lord, I believe, Lord, that you sovereignly have provided this much for me to live on, and that is enough for me.
It means that if debt is keeping you from giving back to the Lord what he says is his, then the Lord would say you need to make changes. Yes, it will be difficult. But I can tell you from families that have done this over the years in different churches I've served, they all say it is worth it. They all felt better when they offloaded debt, sold cars, downsized houses, paid off credit cards. They all felt a huge relief when they started living within their means. And if you sense or feel that it's impossible, most likely here's why it'll feel impossible to offload debt. And that's because we form an emotional attachment to the stuff we have borrowed to buy. So don't let the emotional attachment you form with the stuff you can't afford keep you from making an unemotional decision to reduce your debt load. Separate the emotions and do what you have to do to honor the Lord. Because the discipline of contentment can prevent the burden of debt. Next, look at verses 6 through 8 with me. Uh, Solomon continues, he says, go to the ant. So here's his advice. It's basically the application. Well, what do you do if you're in debt up to your eyeballs? What do you do if you're living beyond your means? What do you do if you've co-signed or gotten yourself into a bad deal? Go to the ant. Oh, sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Verse 7, without any... Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Here's point number three on your outline. The animal kingdom has financial wisdom. We need. The animal kingdom has financial wisdom. We need. Go to the ant and learn from the ant. Can you imagine First of all, ants are afraid of us, and they're a lot smaller than us. Why on earth would Solomon say, you, big, huge, homo sapien, go to the ant and watch what the ant does so you can learn how to handle your money? What, what is he saying that for? Well, I thought you would never ask. <laughs> this is the third animal that Solomon has told us to learn from. It's a reminder, and here's why I think he says this. It's a reminder that even though man was made in the image of God and given authority to rule over the creation, the animals, the impact of the fall in Genesis 3 was so pervasive that we are sent to the animal kingdom for instruction on how to save money. It's a reminder that we are not as smart as we think we are. Even though we've been given a soul that will live forever, even though we can do things and send a man to the moon and do things that the ant could never do, Solomon says, yeah, but you need to go to the ant to learn how to manage money. Well, what does the ant do that's so impressive? Look at verse 7. Without any chief or any ruler cracking the whip on it. In other words, the ant works hard, saves well without anybody telling it to do so. It's, the ant's not like a teenager that has a parent over them going, you're going to save now 50% of everything you make from your part-time job for a car. 
because if a parent wasn't over the teenager, the teenager would spend it all. The aunt doesn't need that. The aunt is a self-motivated, self-starter. The aunt doesn't have to be kicked out of bed to go to work in the morning. The, 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 the aunt doesn't need to be... In fact, the aunt has to be told to take time off from work if it needed a vacation, which it probably doesn't. You see, the aunt does all these things regardless of emotion because it has no emotions. It has no soul. It just does what it's supposed to do and it does what God made it to do. What, what, what does the ant do? Well, verse 8, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. The Hebrew word for prepare, the verb that she used, is in a tense that Hebrew scholars call the imperfect tense. It means that, that there's an action described that is habitual. It, it goes on and on and on and on. It keeps recurring. It, it means that every year without fail, this cycle repeats with unwavering discipline and unblemished execution, the ant prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. You know, ants are amazing creatures. They are known for their work ethic and their strength. Uh, they can lift objects up to 10 times their body weight. I'm not saying you need to get into the gym and start lifting weights or anything like that, but I'm just saying... They are industrious workers. They're known for their planning. They build elaborate underground colonies that look like they're designed by an architect. Uh, and they're known for their saving. As soon as spring comes, they come out of the ground and they spend all summer gathering food for the next winter. Because they know that winter is coming when they won't be able to work and they won't be able to gather food. So the animal kingdom has financial wisdom that we need. Here are three tips from the ant, three things that the ant does really well that I think Solomon's saying we need to do in this is A, B, and C in your outline. First of all, letter A, plan a budget. <clears throat> plan a budget. Dave Ramsey is known for saying that a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. I like to say a budget puts a name on every dollar and a penny in every place. Or every penny has a place, excuse me. The ideal budget should look something like this. And for the sake of time and space, I'm, I'm not going to go into great detail, but, but you should take your gross income, subtract the tithe, your retirement and savings, which experts recommend a combination of 20%, so it could be 10% to retirement, 10% to saving, or some mixture in there, taxes and insurance, because they are non-discretionary expenses. They, sh they should be in concrete. That, after you subtract all those things out of your gross, that gives you your real net income. So what's left is what you should live off of. Then you go and decide, how big a house should we get? How many cars should we have? How many vacations should we take? You build your standard of living off your real net income after all the other non-discretionary items have been taken care of. 
The Lord gets his portion, first fruits, as we talked about last week. Retirement and savings is taken care of. Taxes, insurance. Then what's left over is what you get. Too many people, though, do the reverse. They instead go, I want this kind of house, and I want this many new cars, and I want a camper and a boat, and I want a house on the coast, and I want this and this and this, and then, oh my gosh, I'm out of money. I don't, I don't have anything left for savings, retirement, or I can only give the Lord 2%. There are plenty of templates online for building a budget if you don't have one. Dave Ramsey's website has several resources that can help. The next thing we learn from the end is the importance of putting away money. Uh, a was planning a budget, B is putting away money. Ants save all they can while they can because when summer is here, they are already thinking about winter. A few years ago, the Los Angeles Times reported that the savings rate in America had dropped to its lowest since the Great Depression. Americans save 0.02% of their income. Uh, that means they spend 99.8%. Although we, we are the wealthiest nation in the world, we are the worst savers. That is last place. And the, the article showed like France and Great Britain and Canada and Russia and all the first world countries, how much they save. It was like 7, 12, 15%. And then there's America at the bottom, 0.02%. So put away money. And the last thing we learned from the ant, practice patience. Let her see. The ant is patient. Ants are patient, determined, and focused. They save one crumb at a time, one day at a time, one season at a time. Ants may not see the results after a day or a month, but they do see results at the end of each season. So, applications. Here's two quick ones for you. Think long-term. That's what the ant does. And you think long-term by saving for the future. Cars break down, health problems develop, retirement comes before you know it. You, you probably are like me. I have never met a retired couple that said, man, it took forever to get here. They almost always say, it went so fast. It seems like we just raised the kids and then they're out and then the grandkids came. It comes before you know it. Solomon is telling us, and don't miss this, he's telling us that if we manage the Lord's money like an ant, we won't have to flee like a gazelle or a bird. If we manage the Lord's money like an ant, we won't need to flee from debt like a gazelle or a bird. The other thing you can do in thinking long term is to invest in eternity. Jesus said, lay up treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves do not break in and steal. Matthew 6, 20. He's saying, send some ahead to heaven because you'll be rewarded there. There's a heavenly retirement account that the Lord set up for his people. 
Paul hints at it in Philippians 4, verse 17, when he tells the Philippians, because they gave so generously to his ministry, he says, literally, I think it's in the NIV translated this way, what you gave has been credited to your account. It's, it, it, in the Greek text, it's a banking term, literally. What you gave, Paul says to the Philippians, God saw, and God went, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. It's been deposited into your heavenly retirement account. So not only should we have an earthly retirement account, but Jesus says, you got one in heaven too. You need to send some ahead. The second and final application, learn the discipline of contentment. Learn the discipline of contentment. At the heart of most credit debt is a heart that is discontent. Do you ever notice how the fallen angels that followed Satan out of heaven were not content being in God's presence and enjoying his favor? Did, did, have you realized that Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden had the entire garden to themselves except for one tree? God said, don't touch that tree. They still weren't content. That wasn't enough for them. What caused Adam and Eve to crave and desire the one tree when they had all this other stuff? It's awesome. The best garden ever doesn't need fertilizer, never suffers from drought, it has no pests, and it wasn't enough. It was sin. The sin nature. In his classic Puritan work called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, Author Jeremiah Burroughs says, the secret to contentment is not increasing your wealth, but rather decreasing your desires. Contentment is learning to say, I have enough. I have enough. And so the question I leave you with this morning is, can you say that to the Lord? Can you say, Lord, I have enough. The discipline of contentment can prevent the burden of debt. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for Solomon's wisdom. One of the wealthiest men in the world at the time, certainly has lots of experiencing and experience managing money. Thank you for his insight. Father, please, by your spirit, would you show each of us how to apply this wisdom to our personal, specific financial situation. Lord, for those that are drowning in debt because they have lived beyond their means, would you give them great insight and lead them to seek counsel from people that are wiser with money that can help them take the steps necessary to reduce their debt load. Lord, for those that have been blessed and they're doing well and maybe they have very little debt, would you urge them, if they haven't done so already, to be generous with what you've given them? to invest in eternity 
in your kingdom work. Still, Lord, there may be some here that have debt that uh, wasn't their fault. They weren't careless. They, they, they made good choices, but things happen, like a, maybe a job loss or medical problems, health problems, that were beyond their control, that have put a huge burden on them financially. Please, Father, would you provide? Would you guide? Would you... We know you can. You tell us that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. There's, you tell us in your word that nothing is impossible for you. So, Lord, please, would you, would you help relieve that debt that wasn't their fault? And, Lord, for others that have debt, would you give them the humility to be able to step back and, and own what they need to own? You know, to be able to say, okay, I shouldn't have bought that. Or, I shouldn't have done that. Because, Lord, I know in our pride we can blame shift. We can, we can look for reasons that the debt's not our fault, too. And I just ask, please, would you help us to be on guard against that? Finally, Lord, thank you that the debt that we owe to you because of our sin has been paid for by the death of your son on the cross. Thank you, Lord, that even though there may be some here that are overwhelmed by debt, they don't have to worry about the debt their sin created with you. Thank you, Lord, that because of Christ's death, if anyone repents of their sin and by grace and faith alone, trusts in Christ alone for their salvation, they can have an eternity that is secure and forgiveness that is irrevocable in peace with you. We love you, Lord. And we ask for your favor and your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.